Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. And welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli with RestaurantOwner.com. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And Barry, today we're talking to a James Beard Award-winning chef, partner in a restaurant doing interior Mexican food from uh, from the downtown area of Austin. The restaurant is called El Naranjo. And our chef guest, part owner of the restaurant, Eliana de la Vega, is with us today. Eliana, thank you for joining us here on Corner Booth. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Eliana, it's very nice to meet you. As is the case in almost all of our podcasts, we'd like to know a little bit about the journey of our guests, where they started out in the food and restaurant business and and what led them to where they are now. Would you be kind enough to share that story of yours with us? Yeah, I have a long history, but I will make it short. So don't don't get bored yet. Hmm. Uh, I was born in Mexico City from a Oaxacan family. So I was raised there, never started cooking. Uh, I learned from my mother first, and then my my aunts and my grandmother reading a lot. There was no time for internet in the, back in the day. I never went to school because my mother was a chemist, very advanced for her time. And he thought it was a, like a step back for her daughter to not go into college instead of going to the kitchen. So I never studied formally cooking, but I like to cook. So I started teaching cooking. Imagine that, right? Not, not with a professional training, but I have friends that so they were getting married and they knew less than I did at that moment. So the, I started teaching them. And then eventually we moved from Mexico City, my husband and I and our two daughters to Oaxaca. And there's, a, it's, you know, Oaxaca is like a, a big food town, I will say, you know, more than a big, it's not just food town, it's a little bit more than that full of traditions and different things, you know, like the, the food there is really impressive and amazing, the produce and the things that people have created in that area. So that was my kind of food. So eventually my husband and I decided to go crazy with no experience and open a restaurant just because we like to cook, thinking that was it, you know, like just mm-hmm. cooking well, it was uh, enough to be successful. Well, the, the, the matter of fact is that is not true, Right. Uh, you can cook uh, splendidly, but not don't know how to run a business or how to manage people and all the little things that come out, you know, along with the restaurant, the, the cooking in the restaurant. Well, uh, it was a little bit of a, you know, a rough beginning <laughs> because we had no idea. Eventually, we were very successful. It was one of the most recognized uh, restaurants in Mexico and also, you know, the one more recognized in Oaxaca as well. And uh, we were living the happy life, running a restaurant, having a cooking school and raising the children and everything was going perfect until it was a social turmoil in Oaxaca in 2006 uh, where the economy collapsed. So all the businesses in Oaxaca, it is a very poor state with uh, lots of traditions and beautiful things, but it's very poor. And the economy collapsed. There were no tourism because that's it, the way Oaxaca makes a living. And uh, so we were definitely had to close because we were absolutely without money. We were invested everything there and in another project. So we had to, I mean, no longer have the restaurant. And eventually we moved to the States. I mean, kind of the same year. We moved to the States um, first to New Mexico. Uh, The things didn't work as well as we planned. It was not in our dreams to move to the United States. And don't take me wrong. I was, I'm very grateful. Now, you know, looking back, I'm the great, the most grateful person to this country and the people and its people, uh, but it was not in my dreams. You know, I'm, I consider myself super Mexican, you know, to leave your country, your language, your friends and everything was very difficult. Anyway, um, the things didn't work out for us in, in New Mexico. So we were in the plans to come here to Austin, not with a, not with a plan actually, but we had a friend and remember we came with a suitcase, each one of us. And three dogs. So we had nothing. Two um, daughters, three dogs. Yes. 
So, and we, I mean, all his family. So we wouldn't leave the, the dogs behind no matter what. <laughs> um, so we moved to Austin because a friend of ours, you know, like, why don't you come to my house and stay here and then we'll figure it out. Well, that figured it out. And the way we were planning to come here and that the girls were finishing high school, um, I received a, um, an invitation from the Culinary Institute of America to open the, the campus in San Antonio. I mean, not open, personally not, but uh, to create the program of Latin American studies. Really? So it's like, okay, that sounds fun, uh, but I want to open a restaurant, right? Really, you know, that is my, I mean, even if I, I know a lot of uh, Mexican food and everything else, you know, my goal was always to open back the restaurant. Anyway, to make the story short, I took the job in San Antonio, thinking that it was closer to Austin, which is not actually. Um, and, uh, you know, at the beginning, I was like going three days and uh, going to the library here in UT that is super busy, with, you know, has a very good collection of Latin American books and creating all the, the, the data and recipes and all that that the institute, you know, was requiring for me. Um, eventually, I ended up going five days a week. Um, uh, and I did a lot of research, you know, and so it was a, I have to say, it was a great job. Um, because it, it let me learn more of what I was interested in learning, right? Uh, and get paid for doing what I wanted. Um, and we traveled to Mexico and other countries in Latin America as well with the, with the Culinary Institute and creating database photographs, you know, um, interview with uh, chefs, uh, cooks, um, growers of different foods, whatever what it was, was needed from the, that area, we will do it. And so it was a great job. Five years was good enough for me. I finally, we opened a restaurant in, here in Austin. Uh, first, a trailer for that we had like a year and a half. Meanwhile, we get the permit. So it was not that drum, a romantic story that we had a trailer. And then eventually with the money we make, we open a restaurant. No, we just had it. And then we close it. And then we open the restaurant. Um, and the restaurant began to do very well, I will say. But we were in a complicated area, which is Rainy Street here in Austin, uh, where all of a sudden, be, you know, there was nothing. And all of a sudden, there were a lot of bars around us. So it became a destination for younger crowds, not interested in food, but more interested in, in drinking. Um, and But it, we were doing well. I mean, we were doing actually super well. Um, not the kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say like food because we always have been very proud of the food, but uh, the people were not interested in the food, actually. Um, so not everything's about money. It is also about the pride you put on doing things. It was it was super good food, but it was the people were not like really interested in it. You know, they were just eating it. Um, so eventually the things, you know, like didn't go well with our former partner. Um, the, the rent was increasing and we was like, okay, you know, this is it. We're, we're done with the business. Uh, we retire. And I was very happy about it in a way. Um, and then um, this location in South Lamar was offered to us and it was too good to decline it. So we took it and started all over again in a different, in a different location. And uh, well, uh, soon after that was 2019. So we were seven years on Rainy Street and then 2019, September, we opened this new location in September 15, actually. And very soon, the the COVID, the pandemic uh, hit. Um, right. so it was a very interesting time. It's like, why we're doing this? You know? <laughs> why are we getting into this business again? Um, I guess because we like it. I guess we, because you had the bug and you had to keep going with that. Um, and uh, so that is a little bit of, uh, you know, the, the story why we are in El Naranjo, which was our former restaurant in Oaxaca has that name. I know it's very difficult to pronounce it. El Naranjo means the orange tree, um, but it is, um, we had it in, in Oaxaca and we become known because of it. So we just- Naranjo is orange tree. That's beautiful. Yes. Yep. It was one very old tree in the colonial house that we settled the restaurant in. Mm -hmm. And so the cuisine, um, uh, may I assume that you brought the flavors and and types of food that you had uh, um, learned how to prepare in Oaxaca to your current concept, 
you know, you've been doing this for a while, long enough to see, I guess, some of the changes in the way people approach food. Um, what have you noticed from your perspective as somebody who wants to maintain a certain level of authenticity um, in a category of food, which, frankly, a lot of people, at least maybe for years, all kind of looked at as just this tacos and enchiladas and queso and chips? Uh, I would say, like, I mean, the, the interest on, on, on food is, has grown a lot in the United States yeah. um, and the knowledge as well. So people travel a lot and people travel not only to see a beautiful scenery, you know, a beautiful landscape and going to the archaeological sites, but also learning a little bit more about the culture of that, con- of that area. And obviously food is culture, so they want to learn about the food and they taste different things. And, uh, you know, also people like me that, you know, come to the States and began to do their own, their own kind of food, uh, open the minds of many people. I still encounter, yeah, I have to say it. I still encounter people that don't understand what we do. And they, they say, this is not Mexican food. And I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> that is a tough one, honestly, because how do you say this is what it is, Mexican food, without offending a customer because you don't want to. I mean, it's your customer, you know, he's staying mm-hmm. there and he deserves a good a good answer. Um, I consider Tex-Mex food or Cal-Mex food or Chicago, Chicago-Mex or you name it uh, as another um, regional Mexican cooking. Uh, and studying it, it, it makes sense, actually, because as we as we well know, uh, the food is not just, you know, you cannot just put it inside of a diameter or an area. Uh, because you want to, you know, so borders, it's a man-made thing while food was there. And you create a, a you know, cuisine or a regional cuisine, if you will, uh, with ingredients you found in that in that area. And that is what happened. You know, um, Texas, for example, it used to be Mexico. So we have, we share a lot of the same ingredients. Um, ways, uh, you know, you get uh, people from other parts of the world to Texas. So that makes a uh, create a new cuisine, the same as in Mexico. Um, sure. You got, you know, like people from uh, Poland or, you know, the East Eastern countries in, in, in Texas, well, they brought the sour cream, something we don't use in Mexico, for example. And in Mexico, you, we, you were more used to the Spanish influence or the French influence or even the Lebanese influence. So we get all these ingredients Blended in the, depending on the area where you are, we're talking about, but you get all those all those things that they are completely different in in the cuisine. But still, common ground: chiles, beans, um, and and corn. Right mm-hmm. um, in the northern part of Mexico, we have uh, flour. The southern part of Mexico is more prevalent the corn. Still, in Texas, you find both. So, um, for the people that wanted to know a little bit more of Mexico, it is it is that you know, like open open your senses, open your mind to new flavors, um, experience. You know, there be more maybe more intricate uh, flavors in, for example, the kind of cuisine that I do, uh, because we use the chiles not to get not to sweat and cry about it, but most to enjoy the flavors. So we had so many chiles in Mexico. And we use it, you know, like in, in very low, you know, small quantities just to enjoy the flavors, not to cry, definitely. So it's a, right. it's a different type of, uh, of things. I don't know if I get too, too much on the on the branches and didn't get. Actually, the- no, I think you're hitting all the right notes. I think I think people would understand this because they've seen it um, in other cuisines. They've seen how we've grown, for example, to our understanding that, uh, say, Asian food and Chinese food. I mean, there was years ago, there was a time in America where our understanding was very limited of food from China. Everyone just thought it was stuff on a buffet. And then everyone started realizing, wait a second, Hunan and Sichuan are different regions with different foods. So I think it does make it a little bit easier for people to now start understanding that south of the border, it's the same. Different regions create different flavors. And I love what your analogy about the chilies that the chilies can be used to create taste, not just heat. So you're using them to create flavor, not just to create heat. And um, and maybe that is one of the biggest differences between interior Mexican food and the way, say, a lot of Americans would would spice what we would consider other t- uh, Mexican tastes. So I, I think that's right on target. Thank you. 
In terms of competing in, in, in a market like that, where you have a lot of restaurants that you would you could put under the rubric of Mexican, uh, particularly in, in Texas. And, and of course, I've been in California, and as you well know, it's, I mean, Mexican food is popular. And we have many readers and members who would fall into that category. How, what are some things you do to compete in the marketplace to differentiate yourself so that when somebody says we want to go out for Mexican food, we're going to your restaurant. Um, okay. I think uh, quality is number one thing that we do. Uh, we make everything from scratch and we have been doing that since day number one. Um, we were, I believe it, the first restaurant in, in, in Austin, at least in, in some other parts of Texas and such in the United States uh, making the, the tortillas, the masa, from scratch. That means bringing the corn from Mexico, cooking it for whatever time, you know, one hour, whatever it is, depending on the type and the amount, and then letting it soak and rest for overnight and then wash it, rinse it, and then grind it in-house. Um, so our tortillas are really superior, for example. Um, and really are very very definite flavors what we do and everything is seriously it is made from scratch people don't realize that we in mexico i mean everybody thinks that we only eat tortillas well yes we do a lot of tortillas and we love them either flour or corn depending on the region but also we eat a lot of bread so bread is also something that we do also in house uh, and everything if you're talking about an ice cream we make ice creams in the house always you know trying to to have uh, lots of Mexican flavors. Uh, we do moles from scratch. We we make are very proud of our best selling thing in the in the restaurant that is a mole negro. It takes three days to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. It was not my first choice to put on the menu because I knew there was no going back because it's so good. But it takes so long and it's so you know like so demanding that uh, yeah once we have it we have to keep it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say like things like that. And basically that is what it makes different. The other part is we used to have tacos, for example, in the menu, but mm-hmm. we're a taqueria. And right. a taqueria for me, at least, you know, what I understand as a Mexican born and raised in Mexico as a taqueria, it is completely different than what you see as a taqueria here in the United States. Uh, it's not the same thing, definitely. Nothing against, it's just it's just very different concept. Yeah. Both sell tacos, but it's just in Mexico, a taqueria just sell one taco, one type of taco, maybe two types of tacos. And the rest is, you know, like other, other things, garnishes and things. Um, and they specialize in that. While in a taqueria in the United States, you find a little bit of everything. You find a trompa, you find a grill, you find tacos guisados, you find all sorts of things. And they don't, they're not, only on one thing. So another thing that we did to a little bit separate us from other things is we have a special sometimes and we put tacos, but uh, like one taco only. And uh, like perfectly crafted, perfectly made um, in a way unique. So that will be mm-hmm. more of the new new wave. I work with my, I was uh, telling Chris that I work also with my daughter that is a chef and she's a younger generation, you know, that also has to impact somehow the cooking. And she has some ideas. I mean, she knows she knows everything I know, but she has other ideas as well, more newer ideas, if you will. So she's in charge of putting the specials and doing all those things. And yeah, it has been very successful that too. But yeah, quality is number one thing that separates us from other things. Well executed. Uh, I, we make a protein, it will be perfectly cooked, for example. Um, and that is another thing that, you know, like set us apart from, from others and everything from scratch. So to sort of complete the picture of El Nar- Nar- Naranjo. Naranjo. <laughs> That's okay. So no. at, at Naranjo, what would be your specialties, proteins? And are the menus different, lunch and dinner? And do the menus include a full bar? Uh, do you do cocktails and wine with this type of Mexican food? Uh Yes to almost all. We only do uh, dinner uh, from Tuesday to Saturday and then brunch on Sunday. Uh, Our kitchen is super small. We would love to have lunch, but our kitchen is too small. And the prep is 
it's crazy. We have so much prep in the mornings that we are not allowed to make, you know, both things, you know, prep and have having um, lunch serve as, as the same, you know, at the same time. Um, we do have a full bar with lots of cocktails. Uh, I mean, from margaritas to anything, but if I can say something to customers is have a margarita at the beginning of your meal, Mexican meal, that's wonderful. I love that. I mean, it's a big seller or a cocktail, but when you're having a dinner, like a more formal dinner and you're having a mole, for example, yes. switch your drink to wine, it will go better. You don't need the acidity anymore. You need to have something pairing, not comparing, you know, or not competing to your main course. Um, but yeah, we have full liquor license, so very good wines from not only from Mexico, but also from Europe and South America and everywhere. Uh, same as all the liquors. Of course, mezcal and tequila are a big component in our, our offering. Is mole your signature dish? Um, I, I would say so, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is the most uh, popular dish that we serve. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And in terms of your menu, what I'm hearing from you is that you take a great deal of time and effort to honor traditions of the region that you're, uh, the food you're bringing in, um, to do it very well and to make it very authentic. Is there any component of your menu where you say, you know, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm, I'm a chef, I'm creative, and I'm going to create something that you might not find anywhere but here. Um, or is your focus to honor the authenticity of the cuisine? No, we take, you know, we take things, you know, more more personal sometimes. So, yeah, as I mean, I, I do interior Mexican traditional, most of it. Um, we do different, for example, in Mexico for a mole, traditionally, like forever and ever, my mother, my grandmother, everybody, uh, poach the protein, for example, chicken or pork or you name it. Uh, we we don't do that anymore. We make our moles all completely vegan. They don't miss anything, seriously. And, um, and then we do sear the protein, depending on the protein. But for example, for the mole negro, I like to pair it with duck breast. Oh, I love duck. So we sear it, you know, like perfectly rendered fat and all that, finish it in the oven, serve it medium rare, and it's beautiful combination. Um, mm-hmm. So that is one step, you know, apart from what my mother used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we also do, I mean, not only Oaxacan food, but we tend to go all over Mexico for our inspiration. Um, and also we use ingredients, regional ingredients, and create new dishes as well. So, yeah, it is a combination of both. Uh, one is our personal interpretation, as well as others that they are, uh, you know, very traditional fare from Mexico. How much does storytelling come into play in terms of the guest experience? I I walk in there, I sit down, maybe I'm a foodie, maybe I'm not, but um, I'll read the menu. Um, are there things inside the restaurant on the menu that as I'm preparing to order my meal, I'm, I'm kind of getting an understanding of what, of what I'm about to enjoy and, and the background and history of the restaurant and why this place is special. Uh, yes. I mean, a lot of things uh, the restaurant is quite a small. If you haven't been, please come and visit us. That would be mm-hmm. lovely. Um, it is quite a small. Um, so we don't have, much room to showcase many things you know like hanging in the walls and things but we do have a lot and most of the we have a friends that they're photographers very dear friends and very famous photographers that uh let us hang in their their work in 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 the rooms you know in the in the area of the restaurant we have some art and everything reflects mexico i think um the way the servers i mean the female servers especially are are dressed that also contributes to the feeling and I guess the explanation that the server can give you, it's another, another component. A lot of people, I think they, they also go to our website where there's a little bit more inf- information, but the menu itself, it will tell you certain things like the corn, um, you know, explain about the corn and the masa and all the, that, that part. It was interesting when, because when we started with the restaurant in you know, 2012, um, and rainy, and we were making the the masa always from scratch. We were, I was trying to get, you know, get in touch with people in the media. So it's like, okay, we're doing this. You know, I think it's very special. And nobody was paying attention. It's like, no, why that will be special, right? It's like, okay, well, it's kind of frustrated, but still, 
doing it. You know, it doesn't matter. I will keep doing it. And uh, all of a sudden, I don't know when it happened that people is like opening new Mexican Mexican restaurants newer. And, oh, we have a MASA program. I think what failed to me was to know that I could craft a new a new wording for that, you know, like MASA program is like, what is that? I had no idea what it was that. Obviously, it is the same thing I was doing, but I didn't have a name for it. I was calling nixtamalization, of course, that is so complicated to spell and tell that it was not a story. <laughs> it was a story, right? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we explain about that. We explain about that a little bit, you know, like the mole negro, it takes three days to cook. It has more than 32 ingredients, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, there is background in some of the dishes, not in all of them, because it will be like, a, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want a book, you want a menu, yeah, to order from. Um, but, yeah, also the servers, we try to educate them and let them know, you know, what is important about what the things we do. And hopefully they will deliver that. Like, okay, today we're using uh, purple corn from Michoacan. Today we're using white corn from this other part of Mexico and so on. So, so when <clears throat> obviously the press gets interested, not early on, I understand that, but you open in 2019, bingo, COVID comes, it's a new world. Now, post COVID, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, Post-COVID, it seems like the customers came back. They want restaurants. They want socialization. But they came back a little bit differently. They're also wanting convenience. So things like car side pickup, third-party delivery, use of technology, ordering online. It's like it's a must. Uh, are you able to adjust? And does your concept you know, travel well? And is your food available that way? We had to create uh, a takeout menu. Because as said, you know, if I pansier a perfectly cooked dog breast, it won't travel well. It will get overcooked whenever it hits your home. Or a steak, you know, it's medium rare, it will go well done. Even we try to, you know, like cook it a little bit less so it reach, you know, the, the temperature at the time. Mm -hmm. It will well. So we created a menu that it was to take out. Um, we ne it never fly out. As, as good as we wanted. The cocktails, yes, that, that part did work. Guacamole, uh, enchiladas to go, those things, you know, worked. Uh, but other things on the menu, really not, not that much. We still have some takeout, but it has never been our strongest point. Got it. Not. But then also, the second part of that question is then post-COVID, you, you get noticed. Because how did the uh, James Beard nomination come about? When did you learn of that? And you won the award just two years ago, correct? No, last year. Just Actually, last, last year. year. Yeah. Um, so I was nominated, I think, the first time when it was still were on the other location on Rainy uh, for Southwest. Still, we didn't have the category of being um, Texas on its right. own. So the first one, it was uh, Southwest. I just was a semifinalist again in 2020, right? 2020, yeah. 2020, I was again uh, nominated as a semifinalist, but that was the first ca Texas category, but it didn't go through because, you know, whatever they were like, it was not the right time. Um, things didn't happen, so on and, and so forth. So the first category of Texas was last year, and I was the winner. How that happened? I had no clue, honestly speaking. You know, I, I have been doing the same thing <laughs> forever and ever. And um, I, I mean, obviously, it's a great thing to be recognized. You know, I can't deny that. Um, the work of so many years and a lot of people involved in it and, you know, all the team, my husband, my daughter, et cetera. Um, yeah, it is a, it's a great deal to have been recognized. Um, and it has helped the business as well. I would think so, especially since, as we talked about earlier here, the uniqueness of your cuisine that required some education to, you know, the, 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 the customers at large, required some education of the press to fully understand uh, the sourcing and the presentation and exactly what you're doing. So to go from that education of something that is kind of a unique niche and kind of new to then be warmly accepted, embraced and, um, and award-winning. I, I can only think of one other, I think, chef doing something similar that was James Beard recognized that was doing, you know, something based on interior Mexico. So it's really pretty rare. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
are you still um involved with the uh culinary institute i i wasn't clear if if that was something that you had done and, and you've moved on from that are you still having an opportunity to educate up-and-coming chefs uh, not in that regard, but I have been still working, you know, for several years with uh, different conferences. They 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 make a lot of conferences in San Antonio in, and in Grayston or Napa. And I actually am going back in November for the Worlds of Flavor. Um, it is just a presentation, a couple of presentations or something like that. But I still I'm involved with them, but not as much as been teaching regularly. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So can we talk a little bit about the operation? I know it's dinner only, um, and I know that it's 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 a small seating capacity. Have, have you been challenged because of the way you source ingredients with supply interruption? And um, are you also tripping over some of the higher costs of, of handling the quality of product that you're buying? And then if so, how have you been handling it? Is it have you been menuing around it or have you been increasing prices? Um, I mean, a little bit of both, I guess. I mean, trying to keep the, I mean, to be fair with everybody, with the customers, with ourselves, with the staff on the, on either the paying and the sourcing the products and not just increasing the prices because we can. Um, so yeah, we have been like very cautious about that because we don't want to lose the customers and you, I mean, we all know what is going on in, in, in the world, you know, it's getting, you get sometimes whatever they have on hand, not what you want. Um, that is, you know, like supplies in general, you know, the food and such is, has not been such a, a big problem, uh, essentially because we're so close to Mexico and a lot of the produce coming to Texas is from Mexico. So I'm, I'm in good hands down there, you know, like getting limes, avocados, tomatoes, and all the basic things that we need in the restaurant, you know, we get them from, from Mexico. Um, other things, yeah, sometimes we get the, the trouble of that, but not, I won't say it has not been like super crazy. Um, no, lucky, I guess. On the uh, subject of labor, you haven't really talked too much about your team other than, uh, you know, of course, your your family's very involved in this. Is that going well for you in terms of keeping your restaurant fully staffed? Uh, how are you managing uh, labor issues, which uh, you can't talk to an operator now who who doesn't say, you know, there are some issues. Yeah, no, there definitely there are issues. Uh, one of the things, you know, the hardest part was, I mean, the people in the kitchen were willing to come back after the pandemic, you know, like we're ready to start working no matter what, you know. Uh, the people front of the house, that was the most difficult. They were making, if not the same amount of money, very close being in their homes. Um, so they didn't want to go back to work. Why? But we still have some loyal people that is like, okay, no, I mean, we know you need it, so let's go back. Even we will make basically the same and be working. Other people is like, yeah, I can't be standing in my house anymore. Uh, but yeah, good service. It is becoming very, very difficult. The same as in the kitchen, you know, getting good staffing people from uh, dishwashers to anyone. I mean, everyone is so important in a restaurant. It's not like the, you know the dishwasher is less important than someone else. Um, no, it has been difficult. How we've been solving? Honestly, I think we jump into any any position. The family gets into it. Um, so if the dishwasher don't show up, one of us will get into it. I won't put my my one of my line cooks into doing it. I will do it because they already know what they have to do every single night. I will be if I take the line, I will be slower than they are. So no, I will do the dishes. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm I'm the same person no matter what. If uh, I'm missing some uh, some people in the you know in the front of the house, I will help. You know, like running. I'm not a good waitress, honestly. That I will not do because I'm I'm the worst. But I will <laughs> do any other thing. You know, like I will pour water, clean tables. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm I'm the same person. Um, but yeah, it has been really difficult to get good staffing, definitely. And we're still trying every single week, every single day. We're looking for people that want to work. And we're, you know, professionally, basically with some ethics on, on the work. Well, I can imagine also uh, Austin uh, growing as fast as it is. Uh, I live in a part of the country that is also going through the same uh, type of expansion and growth. And I'm things sorry. are getting expensive. It's uh, You have more people moving in. You have people from California moving in. They're, the, house, the, price, the cost of housing gets is higher. And it's hard to 
maintain a standard of living unless you're making quite a bit of money in some cases, mm -hmm. which not every operator can afford to do. I, yeah. I've got to imagine there's some of that going on in Austin as well. That's right. You know, it is it is difficult. So I'm I'm sorry for you. <laughs> if you're <laughs> through the same things that we yeah. are in Austin. And also the the proliferation of more restaurants. Every day in Austin they they open one restaurant at least and they close another one. The city is super small for the amount of restaurants. So I mean, I'm already here, but if you're planning to open a restaurant, go to another city. There are mostly <laughs> like hundreds, not because I don't like the competition. It's like <laughs> many. We cannot survive, either you or me, you know, and I will try my best to stay alive. Um, so, yeah, it is it is complicated right now. In terms of growth uh, or future plans, um, is it just to maintain the status quo, remain profitable, continue having a quality product, enjoy your life? Or do you have visions of expansion in, in any type of manner, whether it is another unit or doing something to your existing unit that would uh, increase the number of seats, um, anything like that? We cannot go, you know, be, be bigger in the same location. It's a, it's a quite well, I mean, I love the spot. It's nice. It's, it works well, but there is no way that we can grow there more. Um, also, our operation is kind of unique, if you will. So it's very personal. Yeah, there we have plans, hopefully, I mean, nothing is, is written yet or anything, but uh, we are hoping to open another another restaurant, but in a different format, a more casual one. I mean, not that this is not casual. You can come with your flip-flops and shorts. It's not, it's not about that. It's just the, the type of food is very is very demanding, very complex. Uh, it takes a lot of time and in every single thing. Um, so yeah, we're trying to do something more casual in that regard of the food. Uh, still Mexican, I think, or somewhere there, um, but uh, you know, more more casual food. Mm -hmm. That would make that would just make great sense. I could see that. You know, where you could this way you get to build off of your established brand, but less sophisticated, a little bit more casual. That might be something uh, that would be a little easier to operate. I, I think that would fit in very very nicely. Um, have you found any use of technology that fits in that either helps you with your operations, whether it's your the way you'll do your reporting, management of labor, costing schedules, inventory controls? There's an awful lot of independent operators now that are using things like that. Have you found any way? And if so, does it help? Um, not, not really. Um, we, I mean, we haven't found what we need, and it's so small operation. I guess that we don't we don't need much. I mean, besides, you know, like the regular QuickBooks and all those things, uh, we are very much hand things, you know, we, we use, you know, obviously up OS and, uh, but besides that, not much more. Okay. I wish something will be helpful, but I don't know if it's, we're too small, I guess. Well, it's coming. It's coming. We, uh, Barry and I seem to hear this constantly from our listeners, our readers. Uh, there are things that are uh, that are cloud-based and that are helping the small single unit. Um, there's uh, video programs for training now that I'm hearing people using mainly because they're easy and they're less expensive than they used to be. Right. Some of these things, of course, were originally just reserved for larger companies because right. it was you know quite complex and also very expensive. But I, I guess as we learn now with technology, everything seems to every couple of years become a little bit more accessible, a little bit easier to use and also a little less expensive. So yeah, it's coming. But okay. can we switch to how you have maintained your freshness and seasonality um, with obviously with your product and, and your bar? Are there certain things that are that people are looking for you now that are spring and summer? And then are there certain things that are winter? Um, uh, I, like, for example, the isn't the squash blossom a very interesting thing that is part of the Mexican culture? And I forget what time of year I can find those. Uh, that is a summertime here, but it's very difficult. And the, the times we have tried, we found that, you know, they don't come as, as fresh and beautiful as they should, like they will do in Mexico. Uh, now, Mexican food is something that, you know, to the broader understanding, uh, we have everything, all the all the produce, not fruits, but all the vegetables year round. 
So we have amazing tomatoes, winter and summer. So I need those all year round. And most yeah. all the food will be available throughout the year. So what we're doing at the restaurant, it is to have specials um, by the month. And so we have a, a mole or a main course, you know, special, an appetizer, a dessert and a cocktail. So we have a, a, a little bit of everything. So to keep, you know, more entertain the, the guest. Uh, we don't change the menu like by the season or anything like that, again, for the same reasons. Uh, but what we do is change things. I mean, we get bored, if you will, tired or something with some dish. It's like, okay, let's just, let's take this out, put something new and see how that, how that evolves. If we have a very successful special, okay, we may incorporate it into the menu okay. and then something that is not performing that well. So yeah, we keep looking into that. My husband is actually pretty good. I don't know if he used any program. I'm sorry for that. I don't know. Uh, but I, otherwise he's very good at, you know, like all the, all the movements of the things, you know, how much we sell of this or that or something. So all those reports, he knows them very well. And it's like, okay, we need, this is not selling. We need to move it. Uh, this is performing super well. Let's keep, you know, pushing it or whatever. So, um, yeah, we try to be on top of, uh, you know, the, the demand that the people understand what we're serving and uh, be, be in there. And menu engineering is so important, isn't it, Chris, particularly when you're dealing with uh, supply chain issues and, and uh, demand changing all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and again, I really like this approach. You know, if main ingredients aren't really seasonal, so if we don't have to have sort of a tremendous impact from a seasonal basis, but it's almost like what I'm hearing is it's almost like a year round process of let's create specials based on the techniques that they do very, very well, see how the specials go. Sometimes they're always interested in tweaking a menu item, changing a presentation, adding something new. So it's almost like great to be a diner in that neighborhood because it's sort of a routine, let's see what they're doing differently now. It doesn't have to be as formal as spring, summer season. Right. Fall, winter season. That's right. That's that's our model, at least. I don't know if it works for everybody, but to us, it works beautifully. Well, good. I'm glad that it's working beautifully. How, how about helping us understand how, um, how your, say, your brand management works? How do you keep your guests informed? What type of media do you use? Public relations, community involvement. How do you market? Yeah. Okay. We definitely have a PR company. Uh, that's number one. We have another company that do uh, all our work at social media uh, uh, because otherwise it's another job for us. I mean, mm -hmm. I was doing it for a while and I'm not good, number one. And secondly, it is another job. Take a picture, create something, you know, like smart to write down. It's, it's, it's too much. So having a good understanding with your PR company and or your social media company, I think it's is, is essential at this moment. Uh, we also are uh, starting, I mean, a few months ago um, with a newsletter. And uh, yeah, so create a newsletter with the information of the things that they're coming. Uh, we do also, uh, for example, guest chef dinners, bringing chefs from Mexico. And, nice. um, you know, and so create something that is, I mean, anything, it, it depends on the operation of each one, but whatever works for you. I mean, it could be a collaboration with another chef. It could be um, and let's say a guest ingredient, you know, if it's in season for your operation, I mean, it's, it's in season asparagus, well, go for it. Um, and those kind of things, you know, to keep the people entertained on things you're doing new uh, each month, if you, if, you, if you can, which is very challenging, by the way, but it's, it's doable. And Barry, doesn't that really fit? Doesn't that fit the model that Eric was talking about a couple of weeks ago? Eliana, we were talking with a uh, very well-known uh, food reviewer, and uh, he made a special point of saying, you know, the brightest operators are the ones that that know what they want to say, and then they bring in marketing and PR specialists to keep them connected and to help them and keep them directed. And the first thing yeah. you said was, oh, we have professionals to help us. That's good for yeah, you. Yeah, otherwise you can. I mean, I... I, I I may have the ideas. I may not know the, the content. I, I know what I want to say, but I'm not properly saying it sometimes. So you need somebody that like take your ideas and put it to work, uh, either in photographs or in, in you know letters or press releases or you name it. They know what they're doing. I, I That's not my job. 
my job is to have an operating and running restaurant with serving good food and having the most decent stuff I can, and that's it. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's a, there's a number of things I, I'm hearing there, Chris, to your point. Um, one is, uh, and to Eric's point, um, Ileana's finding ways of, of keeping fresh, even though the, the restaurant's been there for a while, something to talk about, something new, um, which, of course, we learned that that's what, media wants they want hey what what's new that's 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 what's important to everybody and then the other thing i remember when we talked to lauren fernandez and it's sort of different but um business development marketing and operations are three jobs and being a good operator is a full-time job and now you're asking people to be good marketers and good business development people where you have chains where they have whole teams that are focused on that. So right. it sounds like you're going to turn, you're going to operate a good restaurant and make sure the menu works and let somebody else do the PR and the marketing and so forth. Yeah. Just only taking pictures, you know, mm -hmm. or each one of your plates and make it look good. I mean, not necessarily all the food looks good, even it's delicious. It's mm -hmm. not photogenic sometimes. Mm -hmm. So to try to make, you know, like a mole look good, I can do that. You know, I, I can serve it beautifully for you. But in a picture, it will look like something, a, a piece of very beautifully cooked duck breast in a black sauce, you know, black food <laughs> underneath. Oh, that's not appealing. Well, they make it look appealing. So, yeah, they know what they're doing. And otherwise, this is definitely nothing we can we can help on that. It's, a, it's a, definitely another job. And for also for a different generation. Uh, younger people is like the ones they are doing better with that. Uh, yeah. They know how to operate their cell phones, taking the best pictures ever with a cell phone. Um, no matter what, if I have the newest or not, you know, I won't make a, that pretty photo as they do. <laughs> right. Period. Well, food photography is obviously certainly an art. And you're right. Some of the best tasting food might have some color issues, brown sauces. Look at all the restaurants doing smoked meat and barbecue. And of course, I love the taste of that product. But, you know, when you're taking pictures of, of you know, 14 hour smoked meat, it's just different shades of brown. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they make that look good either sure. and but, appealing and you know like you, you want to eat it you know like bite into it you know and they make it so th there is an art definitely well there's something to be said about knowing what you're good at and then surrounding yourself with people that can work on the items that you know you're not good at and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing good for you thank you and also in in the term people that understand what you're doing there mm -hmm. are many people that they're very talented, but if they don't understand your concept and your way of thinking or the, the way you want to present yourself, then it's not going to work mm -hmm. because it will be completely, you know, like it will be far, far from you. And that doesn't represent you well, I think. No, I think you're right. And, and have you had uh, trouble, you know, finding people that say specialize in uh, restaurants that then will actually get your story and understand it well enough to represent you? I think uh, right now I'm very happy with the team we got. Good. It's good that you found a group of folks who can really tell your story the way you want it. And and your market, you're, you, you've uh, talked about, um, at least in passing, uh, younger patrons. Um, uh, is that a, a, a big part of your market, uh, uh, young um, food-oriented people who are looking for something different and, and looking for a little bit of an adventure? We have a little bit of everything. You know, we mm -hmm. have also my age, your age, uh, older. Uh, we mm -hmm. have people, you know, we had for the, the special guest dinner last week, we had a, a couple in the 80s mm -hmm. and they go to every single dinner that we make. And even they're very frequent, uh, you know, um, uh, customers of us, guests of us. Uh, but yeah, we want also to to involve, you know, so that is also something that the, you know, the Instagram and Facebook and all those things help, especially Instagram for the younger generations. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to see beautiful pictures of the food, beautiful pictures of the, of the area, of the place, and uh, they might entice them to come down and try it. So yeah, everything. Well, that's a heck of a customer profile. If you can go from 28 to 80, you've got a lot going for you. 
Yeah, and sometimes we even have people that is like, you know, like not on their age, but 21, 21, 19, that we need to definitely ID them uh, because they look so young that, you know, oh, God. And sometimes <laughs> they're like 19, but they're having a nice dinner with a mock cocktail or a water or something. But, yeah, they're, they're coming. Well, as travel continues and people spend more time, you know, the Mexico seems to represent to people all over America leisure. And it's a you know beautiful place to go, tour, see the history and tan on the beach. So I'm hopeful and I'm sure you are hopeful, too, that as that continues and more people travel, the more people will become aware of the wide variety of food and interior Mexican food. So this we meet, they come back and they understand a whole lot more uh, about the culture and about the food than we have just here. Yeah, well, glad you mentioned because I do culinary tours as well. So that's my other part. Um, I travel to Mexico with groups, random people, you know, whomever wants to sign up for that. Um, and we travel to different areas in Mexico, in Mexico. And we, it's a, it's a culinary tour. So we, nice. cook, we cook and we eat all day long. And we do other things as well, you know, like going to cultural activities to be hungry for the next meal. But yeah, so yeah, I, I'm helping the understanding as well, personally, you know, going down there. Interesting. Is, is there cross promotion of that between your restaurant and your tour company where you have restaurant guests who say, gee, this would be kind of fun to go to Mexico and, and see where this all really happens. Um, it's right. almost sort of an expansion of your business model from my perspective. It worked. Uh, it had worked like that. Um, originally I was doing tours for specific companies, uh, let's say avocados from Mexico or, you know, uh, groups of hoteliers of restaurateurs that wanted to expand their knowledge in Mexican food. So I was doing it privately. And my other daughter, the journalist, I said, like, why don't, why don't we do this? And I was like, I don't know how to market it. We have been doing it eight years and it's very popular. We are doing super well with that too. Wow. Barry, we're going to need to sign up. Please do. Yeah, I would like to, I haven't been to Mexico for a while and I haven't been to the interior. I've been to Baja and I've been to the Yucatan. So mm-hmm. I think it's time to get uh, go further inland. Please do. Well, Please you know, try. it just sounds so tough. Travel, relax and eat. I mean, that's a really tough agenda. I yeah. Up and drink. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, listen, everybody, it looks like we're going to have to wrap up. But listeners, we have just been enjoying a conversation and 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 just um, and, and mouthwatering conversation about interior Mexican food here with with Chef Eliana. Eliana de la Vega, the restaurant is El Naranjo. And I want you to all go to Austin, look it up, eat there or just contact her on her website. Sign up for a tour, go to Mexico and eat your way through the country. <laughs> thank you so much for having me today. That was well, fun. Thank you very much. Thank and you. hopefully everyone will connect with us again real soon on another Corner Booth. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.